Where, how do I access the AI? Oh wait, there we go. AI companion is on. It says catch me up. Not much has happened since AI companion was turned on. Try again in a few minutes. <laughs> Damn. We'll never get an answer for is Richard gay. Oh, I'll tell you. Yes. Guys, I'm glad you're here. I've been just sitting here researching all this Elliot Ness and Capone stuff. And I finally found a mystery for us to solve. Okay. Uh, isn't that awesome? That's, yeah, I thought that's what you don't see me jumping up and down right now. And oh, I see you jumping up and down. And I just thought you were itchy. Uh, how do you wait? <laughs> you saying itchy just made me itchy. <laughs> how rough are your clothes? The jumping up and down scratches you. Uh, that's that's how I scratch my itches. I don't know what do you do. <laughs> okay. Consider lining my my boxers with sandpaper from now on. That's how. That's what. There's boxers that don't have sandpaper in them. Yes, uh, widely available. Believe it or wow. not. You know what, guys? There's a, a mystery that went on in Cleveland while our friend Elliot was there. Pretty gruesome. A lot of people call him the American Jack the Ripper. Way more prolific, way less known. So let's talk about him. Time for our part three of our series on Elliot Ness, Al Capone, and the Cleveland Torso Murder. An elite team of private detectives. What if balloons are aliens? Maybe that's the key component we're missing. Cover-ups. John's guilty. Mysteries that need to be solved. Maybe Mormons need mountains. Richard, shut up. Please clarify, is, is he murdering only the torsos of people, or uh, is he, like, uh, uh, just a torso that murders? Very good question. Very good question. Uh, he's not just murdering the torsos, because the limbs and whatever else is taken off is also dead. But uh -huh. there's no guarantee he's not a torso killing, because I don't know that. Huh. We don't know who it is. Maybe uh, that's what if it theory. is? What if it is Jack the Ripper, the American... Jack the Ripper is just Jack the Ripper. What if it's what if it's only Jack the Ripper's torso? Yeah. Wait, are they at, are they in the same time period? Like Jack the Ripper's early late 1800s. This is the 1930s, like 1935 to 1930s. So it could be the same guy. So maybe his very old torso. It would have yeah. to be a very old. But this, this the MOs aren't like the same. They're just very vicious so they're they're the same in that regard okay but does your torso think the way the same way the rest of your body does Ooh, good question another great question from rj uh my torso as far as i've known my torso it's been attached to my body so it hasn't had autonomy yet but like okay. take off my head i don't know what that thing's gonna do i have no fucking clue because i know my head's controlling it right now mm -hmm. well i would like another opinion because i don't know what autonomy means so <laughs> american i forgot um education system terrible we'll figure it out when they're by themselves wait so are we calling this are we calling this guy american jack the ripper or like does no he's got a better nickname is his nickname originally his nickname now is he's widely known as the uh cleveland torso murderer which is kind of like you said it's it sounds stupider than so, it, it's well wait if he's better why aren't we calling jack the ripper the the british murdering torso Ah, see, another great question from RJ. I'm, Just... I'm, I'm jam-packed with, with, <laughs> with, with queries this evening. Okay, I, I like it. I don't know the answer to that one, but I'm sure we'll come up. Like, it's just because he came first. He was already, he gave himself the moniker Jack the Ripper, right? So 
by that time the damage is done it's like 30 40 years later when this happened so they really shouldn't let him have that that was that was very presumptuous of him and then very spineless of the rest of them this is why this is why i say it's a good question because this guy here is called the cleveland torso murderer now but back in its day he was called the mad butcher of kingsbury run so like they changed it to the cleveland torso murder they wanted nationwide notoriety that was a little bit too centralized for people to understand I feel like you're probably right on that. I don't even remember what you said except for Mad Butcher, and that's because I typed it. It sounded sick. It sounds like a side quest in The Witcher. Yeah, it does. It sounds like a Mad Butcher of Canterbury Hill. Is that what it was? Kingsbury Run. Close. The the Peter Gabriel of Salisbury Hill. (laughs) Wait, there's a dog bridge in this one, isn't there? There's, There's no suicidal dogs at all. It's going by Kingsbury Run. That yeah, these the murders happened between the 1935 and 1938. And the first victims killed just before Elliot is elected a safety director in Cleveland. Holy shit. First article solves it. You solved it already? Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I like that. Yeah, it was it was this guy. Nice. <laughs> that's a that's a solid torso. That is what I would expect. Yeah, he he, he did it. That looks like an early Marvel bad guy. It does. Like That's the was, picture they decided to use for him. That was, that was they put that in the newspapers. Probably that was effective. It's like that one shitty artist who can't draw like feet or hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's. I like how they put a knife in his hand. Like it's like a little kitchen knife. It's like yeah, he's cutting people's torsos off with a little bit of a little kitchen knife. This little knife. We've got the AI on for this episode too, just so everybody knows. So every once in a while, we're gonna say catch me up to the Zoom AI and see what they have to say. So I'm kind of interested to see what Zoom has to say right now. Catch me up, AI. The meeting has been lighthearted and informal. RJ McCarthy and Richard Sudel discuss technical issues with the AI companion and joke about catching up. They mentioned researching a mystery related to Elliot Ness and Al Capone, mm-hmm. specifically the Cleveland Torso murder. They speculate about the identity of the killer and humorous comments. Overall, the meeting has been casual and focused on personal anecdotes rather than business matters. <laughs> wow. So fucking stupid. <laughs> Called us the fuck out. <laughs> Called out for sure. Fuck you, AI, piece of shit. All right, I'm calling you out later on. AI, AI. when you recap this back, just remember that I broke the fourth wall and then make fun of yourself. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. you're part of this meeting now, AI. You're anointed into this meeting, you fuck. Involve yourself like that in an opinionated manner. (laughs) I guess you can fucking pull your weight. It'd be funnier if you could just press a button and like an AI did pop up and said all this and then left. Oh, yeah. like Oh, shit. Like like Clippy or something, but for... Yeah, yeah. Zoom, Zoom get on that. I'm just assuming Zoom can hear us through the AI. Yeah, well, it is China. They're keeping all of this. That's that's okay. Yeah, so this is that case. I remember, I don't. if you want to go back and listen to Elliot Ness episode, you'll hear I talk briefly about this. This is the big case that got away from Elliot, even though he did like so, a lot of good in Cleveland. He really did. He modernized the police force, and this is the one he couldn't solve. He thinks that he solved it. Elliot does, Elliot Ness, but it's disputed in that regard we'll talk about that in the theories let's talk about it a little bit so a serial killer dismembered at least 12 victims seven men five women throughout those four years 1935 to 1938 and i say at least because there's other suspected victims so only two potentially three of the victims have ever been positively identified and i say potentially three because they think they're not sure about the other person i'm 90 percent sure i'm going to say it's three for sure that have been identified because you'll see why yeah, like I said, Ness had a suspect, but he couldn't pin him down. A lot of researchers today agree with Ness's suspect, but I'm not sure I agree. 
before we solve the mystery, what do we have to do, Rick? Look at my gross fingers. Um, make sure our insurance is up to date. <laughs> okay, you never, you guys never get this right. What is wrong with your finger? I burned them uh, a few days ago. That's why you want to make sure your insurance is up to date. Could have been a lot worse. <laughs> before we can solve this mystery, let's do a little bit of history. So during the 1920s, before Elliot ever stepped foot in, e in Cleveland. Was that intended to rhyme? Yeah, I, I do it all the time to you guys. You guys have never noticed. That's the best part. Really? I, yes, I always go, before we can solve the mystery, what do we do, Rick? And Rick says something offhand every time. And then I go, I really? yeah, oh yeah, you guys have never noticed it. It's amazing that you're I, noticing it now. I have no I'm idea. I did. 54 episodes, or this is 53 episodes in. Actually, more than that. We're like 70 episodes with all our bonus and shit like that. And you guys, first time notice, I love it. That's impressive that I, because I, I watch a podcast where they do something like that. And I've always wondered if he just rips it off. And I've never realized that you were doing it to me. <laughs> hmm. Go back and listen. You'll see. So during the 1920s, before Elliot ever stepped a foot in Cleveland, the city was having quite the boom. At that time, Cleveland was the fifth largest city in America with new immigrants from around the globe joining the workforce every day. Now, they wrote from around the globe. I'm probably going to assume from around the Europe. 30% of the population was immigrants, which is a pretty high percentage. The industrial and manufacturing backbone of the city was making the city thrive. In 1927, Cleveland built the second tallest building in the world, named the Terminal Tower. It was the tallest building outside of New York City until 1963. 81 feet tall. 81 feet tall. Terminal, terminal Tower is 81 yeah. feet tall. I yeah, didn't say how tall it is, so it's not 81 feet. It's fucking big. I can't remember exactly what it is. 82. Yes. Okay. Terminal Tower is 82 feet tall. Thank you. In 1929, Cleveland was hit hard by the Great Depression, like most of the U.S. This left many people out of work, and there was a huge population of homeless and transient people living in and around the Forest City. Many immigrant homeless who had no family but their own to miss them. The only person who seemed to have a lot of work during the Depression was the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. And the transient homeless populations, like perfect victims for something like this like a psychopath trying to fucking kill the killer was dubbed the butcher of kingsbury run because of the brutality of the killings and it was where most of the victims were found kingsbury run is a riverbed that runs from an area in cleveland known as the flats to about east 90th street the flats is an area along the cuyahoga river near lake erie train tracks run through the flats in the 1930s much like they do today Kingsbury Run was a sad and dangerous place in the 30s. It was where most of the homeless and transient people made their makeshift city that was often referred to as a, quote, hobo jungle. <laughs> <laughs> what year was this again? 1930. Is that because the proper way to maneuver through them is with a machete? Yeah, probably. You guys remember what Elliot did. You know, if you don't, I'll, I'll remind you after. Uh, the hobo jungle occupants often rode the rails to escape the brutal Cleveland winters or to just keep moving. Keep on moving. like The the brutal Cleveland winters? That's what they said. The I mean, they're, they're winners. Like, no, no bones about it. But, like... <laughs> well, I would assume when you're homeless in 1930, fucking minus 20 is still well, pretty fucking cold. Yeah, because they're right by the lake, too, so... Yeah, mm. I, I'm not comparing it to my winter. My winter, like, I got 27 right. inches of snow today, six inches of snow today. Like, yeah, 
That's crazy. So yeah, just to the east of the run was the Roaring Third, quote-unquote, area of Cleveland. The streets of the Roaring Third were lined with bars, brothels, flop houses, and gambling dens. Poor people, the hobo encampment, with the addition of no real forensic techniques, made it an even better recipe for the psychopath to go around killing people. One of the craziest unsolved murders in the States, if you ask me. Uh, This guy killed more than Jack the Ripper, and in an equally, if not more, psychotic way. The first body was found on September 5th, 1934. This is a suspected victim. Uh, It isn't on the official count in some circles. I say it's an official victim because of all all that I've read. And a lot of people do, but some people don't. This is a little more than a year before Elliot Ness was even in Cleveland. A young man found the remains of a woman in her mid-30s. Now, not full remains. He found a torso with thighs still attached, but amputated at the knees. Well, hold on. Is that is that really technically a torso? I mean, like it is, but it's like not just a torso. Yeah, it's a torso with thighs. Hmm. Yeah, that's I don't know. Like the attached to you, you still have a torso, whether it's all attached or not. I don't know. I feel like if it's any more than just like a singular part, then it is still like it's more a corpse than it is that part. Because that's like saying like, yeah, we found a. A finger with a hand and an arm attached to it. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, you found an arm. Like, Okay, well, then what would you... Because if you say, okay, a finger with a hand body, and an arm, it's an arm. Body, I think it's missing... Well, is it missing more than it has left? I guess maybe is the... <laughs> it's kind of like a... It's a weird math question. Like a glass half full and empty. It is mathematical. It's also philosophical. It's like, is <laughs> yeah. the body mutilated more or less than the sum of its <laughs> oh, parts I it's know. still pretty fucked up whatever it is i don't know like well let's just call, we'll call it a corpse or i'll call it a corpse it's a corpse Why it's not? a corpse missing its head arms head and arms calves <laughs> and ga- oh yeah and, and yeah calves and feet sorry i went down a flop house rabbit hole <laughs> there's there's still a guy basically in a flop house that was later turned into a hotel just squatting who just he never left. Squatting's awesome. If you can get away with that, that's amazing. Yeah, so he found the, the torso with the thighs still attached, amputated at the knees. Her remains had washed up on the shores of Lake Erie, just east of Bratton Hall. Police searched the surrounding area, finding only a few other body parts. All, uh, all the amputated parts were removed expertly, except for the arm, like one of the arms. That was sawed off rather than surgically removed. They never found the head of this one, though. Uh, in the later weeks, some fishermen had claimed to see the head in the distance, bobbing in the water as they were fishing. She also had an abdominal scar, mostly li- most likely from a hysterectomy. Cuyahoga County Coroner A.J. Pierce noted that a chemical preservative on the skin had turned it red, tough, and leathery. Now, that red leathery skin thing happens on a few victims, and I find that, like, one of the creepiest details about this whole thing. It's like a weird red leather skin. Ugh. I'm sorry, like, all of the skin? Or, like... Yeah, I, that's... It? It's hard to... I tried to figure that part out, too, and I'm assuming yes because of why they assume this happened. Because they think that the killer was trying to decompose the body quicker using lime, but got lime chloride instead... And lime chloride, if you put that on human remains, it preserves it. So I'm assuming you cover the whole body. <laughs> yeah. So they instead of getting rid of the body, they just made a geodude. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or a geo chick because it's a female. Yeah, the woman's. Well, how never... do you know if it's just a if it's just a torso and thighs? That's where the tits are, bro. You didn't say that it still had tits. Well, it's a torso. Tits are part of the torso. Okay, but like, are they though, or are they their own? And thing? the thighs still like the vag is still there too. Okay, again, you didn't say there was also a vagina because that means it's tits, vagina, torso, and thighs. <laughs> TVTT. Yeah. This woman's never identified and soon referred to as the Lady of the Lake. The Lady of the Lake wasn't included in the butcher victim count until about two years later. Before then, there was no butcher to add to the pile of. So she was kind of an oddity by herself. Later on, she becomes victim number zero because of that. To this day, there's still some dispute whether or not the Lady of the Lake is even a victim of the butcher, like I said. The search for the mad butcher didn't officially begin until about a year later. So the next victim was found. Less than a month later, on September 23rd, 1935, two 16-year-old boys were playing baseball near Kingsbury Run until they lost their ball down a gully named Jackass Hill. While they're looking for their ball down Jackass Hill, the teenage boys discover the decapitated and castrated corpse of a white male. The mostly nude, headless body was only wearing socks. That's embarrassing. Do you think there are less murders today, or do you think people just figured out how to Google what chemical dissolves them and which one preserves them? Hundred percent less murders. My, <laughs> oh. I would rather be found with my my whole head and my dick in my mouth than be found naked, except for socks, <laughs> headless, dickless, and socks only. Really? Just 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 the like I don't okay, walk around your house by yourself wearing nothing but socks and <laughs> and feel how that feels. That that feels unfinished, unsafe. It feels it's powerful, not... I think. Powerful. powerful. Oh my yeah. god, what are you f- fucking Christian Bale and American psycho? Nobody has that much confidence. The only thing you're protecting yourself from is the is is the, the earth. Everything else you're so you're telling me you would rather you you wouldn't mind anything between someone like a stranger seeing you naked versus naked with socks? If no, there's no difference whatsoever. Not not if you're dead. If anything, if anything, I prefer to die with the socks on because no free feet pics. You got to buy them. <laughs> Corpsefoot.com. Yeah, I don't think I, don't, that is, I know very. Someone little will pay big bucks to be the one to rip those off my my dead body. All right. <laughs> Is that a big? Is that a big thing? Is that necrophilic feet? Is that like a? I don't know. I don't, an arm I, of the of the kink. I haven't hit that area of Reddit yet, but necrophilic feet finder. I, I'm. Uh, hmm. I'm. I think we're gonna start a website. Okay. Yeah. So they're only wearing socks. The headless body was clean and was drained of blood. The head was found buried near the rest of the body. The corpse had rope burns around both wrists and was also missing his dick. Oh, it was missing the dick. Yeah. His dick wasn't buried. It was just found close by. So he <laughs> buried the head, not the cock. Coroner Pierce determined that the cause of death had been decapitation, which I like. There's a lot of these where he goes like, it's decapitation that killed him. Like that is usually that would be after the murder. You would decapitate someone and bring yeah. them. In, uh, I'm I'm mostly upset that he took the trouble to to train the body of blood and bury a head and just couldn't. Couldn't pluck them socks off his feet. Like that's <laughs> like that's a whole nother twisted level of cruelty. Feet are icky. I'm <laughs> what if he put the socks on him? 
<laughs> oh, he's a goddamn monster then. There has never been a more evil murderer in the history of yeah, the world. Yeah, he's like, how can I embarrass this guy? I'll leave him out naked without a head, cut his dick off, and leave him in his socks, the fucking loser. The largest of the crimes. Yeah. Uh, fingerprints identified <laughs> this victim. I'm sorry, hold on. Okay. It's like, like me as a cop, like coming up to a dead body. And like not being bothered by any of like the decapitation or mutilation, <laughs> and then seeing the socks on the feet and being like, "Oh Jesus Christ!" <laughs> 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 Having to put ammonia in my nose. <laughs> Trading in your badge. What? The streets are getting too rough. They're leaving bodies with socks <laughs> on them. <laughs> socks, Sarge, and nothing else. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> What kind of madman? <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Thank you for that detour. You're welcome. Uh, fingerprints identified this victim as Edward Andrassy, a 28-year-old white male who was well known to the police in the Roaring Third. Uh, he was a victim of the Depression and recently let go from his job as an orderly at the Cleveland City Hospital Psychiatric Ward. Andrassy was also known as a pimp, Porn dealer, drunk, and fighter. So many people had grudges with Andrassy that the police thought the murderer must have been someone that he'd known. While searching the crime scene, police discovered a second body nearby, also decapitated, also decapitated, <laughs> and emasculated. Now we're bringing that back. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care if it was never a word. <laughs> They're decapitated with their socks left on. <laughs> Monsters! Just <laughs> a neuroatypical detective. <laughs> Elliot Ness. <laughs> yeah, they found they found another body uh, without its head and without its dick. Head buried nearby that body as well. Dick just hanging out there, unburied nearby. They didn't say whether or not the socks were left on the second body, but I'm going to go with yes because that's a good clue that we should probably hold on to. The socks are a big thing. I it is. It could be. Could be every little every little piece of evidence could be the cracked as what case wide open. Now the second body appeared to have the same red leathery skin as the Lady of the Lake, so the lime chloride stuff. So the second body had been dead for at least a couple weeks, and the cause of death was also decapitation. The body was that of a forty-ish year old male who was never identified and is generally known to the case as John Doe Number One. This is around the time that Ness gets appointed safety director by newly elected Democratic reformist Mayor Harold Burton. So I'm sure this was one of the first cases he was primed on when he got the job. I, I find that interesting that Ness probably inherited this fucking serial killer right away and never could solve it. I, I feel like that was probably one of the main things they wanted solved. Do you know what I mean? Like a crazy fucking lobber offer of arms and shit. Yeah. Unless it was like a politician's nephew or something. That's hilarious nah, that you say that. Those get those <laughs> get solved quicker. They just make someone else take the fall for it. Put it this way. Oh. Hilarious that you said that. You guys are really catching on to these mysteries. Uh, about a month into Ness's tenure, another body is found. On January 26, 1936, a woman was walking alongside the Hart Manufacturing Building on Central Avenue. In the distance, she saw some dogs barking oh, and... Oh. 
I thought you meant the heart manufacturing. I was like, how are they manufacturing hearts back then? But yeah, never yeah. Mind. I get what you're saying. Yeah, they used to do it during the Great Depression. We lost the technology, <laughs> though. Um, in, to uh, the Germans. <laughs> Hitler took that one to his grave. You ever heard of the Dust Bowl? That was when, uh, you're right, a German jumped, uh, dumped a big, huge bowl of dust all over all the research. So that's... <laughs> American History like a, 101, This baby. sounds right. This sounds right. Yeah. In a distance, she saw some dogs barking and biting at what looked like a basket on the ground. She discovered newspaper-wrapped meat inside of the basket and didn't know what the meat was. So she went to the butcher nearby and asked him to come check out this mysterious package. The butcher recognized the meat as that of being human instantaneously. Parts of a woman's body were neatly wrapped in newspaper and packed into two half bushel baskets. They don't really say which body parts, but it's for sure not all of them because they found whatever was left 10 days later in a vacant lot a few miles away. Everything except the head. I'm curious how he instantly recognized exactly. it. Exactly. Either was... that's well, suspicious like as fuck or that lady's really stupid and brought like a bunch of fingers and like a jaw and was like, <laughs> what could this be? And he's just like, let me see. Oh, Jesus. What the fuck? <laughs> Are these fingers human? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even though she was decapitated, her cause of death wasn't considered decapitation this time. In this case, the mad butcher waited for rigor mortis to set in before chopping her into bits. This chop job was less professional than the other victims. Most of them were sawn off at the joints instead of expertly removed like a surgeon. Fingerprints were used to identify victim number three as Florence Polillo. She was a waitress slash bartender who at the time of her death resided right on the edge of the Roaring Third. She was a weird lady. From what I understand, she owned dolls, many, many dolls, about 12 of them. Her landlord said she would pose them all over her house, each in a different way, a different way each time she came over to visit the apartment. I feel like 12 is not like an alarming number. I mean, it's too many, but <laughs> it's definitely weird. You said a lot. Now, I was thinking like we were in the triple Hundreds, digits, yeah. but yeah. No, you said 12. I mean, like, are they life-sized? Because that's <laughs> that would change how many they are. Because, like, I feel like the bigger the dial it is, the fewer number qualifies as a lot. Because, like, one human-sized dial is too many. <laughs> For sure, 100%. <laughs> and an episode about that, a guy that did that in Russia for unethical he'd Ooh. dig up all the buried little girls little kids that were buried and he would take them home with them and stuff them and like live with them and he gave one to his parents oh anatoly moskvin and you know what the girls it was sumit was on the episode the girls in sumit all changed it to because he put little music boxes inside of them so they'd like he crank them up and they'd sing to him and he'd like super creepy dude this is like in the 90s and then they changed it to like, oh, you just put a Siri in it. Hey, Siri, how are you feeling today? And I was dying laughing. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, they're just normal sized dolls for, for Florence, Flo, Polillo. Okay. So she had 12 of them, which is not, you're right. Because like, I kind of now, I now think about it a little bit more. If you have 12 Funko Pops sitting in your like office or something that's not weird but if you have like 110 i'd be like what the fuck are you like why are you so obsessed yeah. with the funko pops since they never found her head her death couldn't definitively be ruled a homicide which i find hilarious like she slipped fell tore herself up into a bunch of pieces <laughs> that feels like a cop rule that feels like a, the guy's a cop and he knew that 
Like, oh, as long as they can't find the head. It's coroner AJ Pierce. That guy's like, he kind of disappears soon. He gets uh, elected. Like he gets, loses his election for a coroner soon enough. And then a new guy comes in who's very good. But mm. I feel like this AJ Pierce is like weird. Yeah, saying that everything's a decapitation. It's like, are you just saying that because the head's missing? Like, that feels <laughs> yeah. like you don't know what you're doing. I don't know. It also kind of feels like he might know what he's doing there. That's true. Yeah. Maybe he's like making muddying in the water to get away with it for sure. I no, no. I mean, if it's me, if I walk out in the seat, I'm like, hey, that guy's head's missing, and then they're like, yeah, how'd he die? I'm like, his head's missing. <laughs> <laughs> am I am I good to go? That guy's dead. Like, you need me to tell you that guy's dead, or can we can we maybe just Drop the bureaucracy for this one. <laughs> the murders keep coming. On early morning, uh, June 5th, 1936, two young boys wanted to go fishing on the East 55th Street Bridge. When they get to their fishing spot, they see a bundled-up pair of pants. And so they do whatever some, whatever a preteen boy would do when you see a bundled-up pair of pants, especially when you're poor like that, you go poke it with a stick, see what's inside. They kind of were hoping like some change would follow the pants, but what happened was uh, a head rolled out with its eyes closed and its mouth open. This is the second victim, nice and wrapped up somewhere for someone to find. The police search, and they didn't find the body until the next day. The Cleveland police found the body in front of the Nickel Plate Railroad Police Building. Again, this corpse was cleaned and drained of blood. The whole body was intact except for the severed head. I feel a little misled. This, this, these discoveries aren't aren't very torsoy. They're <laughs> kind of like uh, beating around the torso. Yeah, this he likes to chop off weird parts of the body. Like, anyways, Pierce again determined that the death had been caused by decapitation. <laughs> this victim was never identified, even though they had a bunch of ways to identify him. They had fingerprints. The man had six distinctive tattoos on various parts of the body. Still no identification. The police ended up taking a plaster cast of the man's head because he was starting to decompose and they wanted to have uh, some sort of record to figure out who it was. The police even went as far as displaying the plaster reproduction of the man's head along with a diagram of the kind and location of the tattoos at the Great Lakes Exposition in 1936. Hmm. I don't need to, but I would like to see that. They, they exist. You could pull it up right now if you want. Uh, they're in the Cleveland Crime Museum. There's a bunch of the head plaster casts. There's like three or four of them. The listener wants to go look at that. They're going to be part of the show notes. I, are they ju- are they just heads? Oh, they have a bunch of stuff in there. You can there's four different heads, plaster heads. They have some other things like. Okay, so we have torsos though. I think the heads are there, and then there's some like wall descriptions of like where that each one was found, who they think they were, and. So, yeah, I find that awesome that they at like the Great Lakes Exposition, the cops just took a booth up and they said, identify a dead body. And everyone's like, we want to go look at the electricity. <laughs> like, no, no, identify a dead body. <laughs> that guy's called the Tattooed Man. And he's never identified. Interesting. Officially known as John Doe number two. The Tattooed Man's original death mask, along with three others from the case, are on display at the Cleveland Police Museum. This one looks a little bit like if... Rick's head washed up on shore and was all like bloated and and decaying. Yeah, it kind of does look like Rick this one, eh? Only if he's like. Did they a, put eyeshadow a, on this? It looks like they painted <laughs> it up a lot. Yeah, they've they've made it look more human. Like a, a plaster cast is only goes so far. Yeah, that's those are interesting. They're not. I didn't really include them as like a visual aid for the episode because like it's just like I like you said, they'll paint it up. It looks whatever. They're there. They exist. People want to go look at them. Go look at them. They don't really help. I don't find. 
Okay, so the next victim on July 1936, a teenage girl comes across a decapitated remains while walking through the woods near Clinton Road and Big Creek near the west side of Cleveland. They were that of a 40-year-old white male. Judging from decomposition, he had been dead for about two months, and his head, as well as a pile of bloody clothing, were found nearby. This time, the head was not buried. The victim had been gutted. His internal organs and heart were never found. Judging by the enormous amount of blood that seeped into the ground, this man had apparently been killed where his body was found, unlike the other victims, where they were kind of like cleaned and drained of blood. John Doe number 3 was never identified. On September 10th, 1936, a drifter saw two white things floating in a nearby stagnant pool while trying to hop a train at the East 37th Street in I Kingsbury. I swear Run. to fucking God if they're not torsos. Cleveland police sent their diver in to search the pool, which was nothing more than a big open sewer. Ugh, imagine how disgusting that... That guy's day sucked. Mm-hmm. Uh, they found the upper and lower halves of a torso and parts of both legs. So they found half a torso. That's what those things bobbing were halves of torsos. All right. So they did find one whole torso. Yeah. But then also legs. I mean, also like, we're, yeah. it just feels like, like there's not even enough just torsos <laughs> to call all these the torso murders. Uh, like they should have been, they called, they should have called this guy the Cle- the mad butcher of Cleveland. I would have been okay yeah. with that. Yeah. Uh, like the, like the dumpling, dumpling murder or something. Or like... <laughs> the dumpling murder? What the yeah. Fuck? Because, because what are you, all hungry? these body parts are always like coming up in the water and like fucking, or like boba. I Maybe they didn't have boba back then. I don't know. Boba? Like, why do they have to be food? What the fuck? The bobo beast. I'm just thinking the butcher connection. The lady at first thought she could eat this meat, that it was a food, it was an animal. And that, I mean, it all screams like food. It all screams big food. Nestle, right? Like Nestle's in on this in some way. You're a fucking cannibal. <laughs> Campbell's. Campbell's could also be in on it. Uh, uh, an interesting thing about the stagnant pool dead body. Campbell's bodies. torso soup. <laughs> that just sounds real. Campbell's chunky torso. <laughs> Campbell's chunky torso soup. I we, there's something there. An interesting part about the the stagnant pool torso victim was that a crowd starts to gather to watch the police pull parts out of the pool. It was estimated that over 600 people tried to get a glimpse of the grim spectacle. Some criminologists believe the killer may well have been among them. Oh, without question. For sure, I I agree. I think that's a thing. Uh, this guy was known as John Do- John Doe number four. Number four was in his late 20s, and the cause of death determined by the coroner was probable decapitation. This victim's kidneys were taken out, and his penis was also cut off. <laughs> they, they just kept, they kept telling, they had to be decapitation because he'd be like, uh, he was depenisarized, and they'd be like, no, <laughs> that's not, that's not a, a way to Emasculated, this is the word, emasculated. <laughs> His head and hands were never found, even though the police went as far as emptying the pool of its cess. Coroner Pierce was a bit crazy, I think, is what I write here. He noted that the killer must have been really strong and very familiar with anatomy. Apparently, John Doe number four died instantly when the head was cut off in one bold, clean stroke. What is this guy killing with a fucking greatsword? Is that what this guy thinks? He's got a giant fucking axe and just walking around the street? So, like, I know anybody could order, like, a butcher's knife, like a cleaver off Amazon now, and, like, it'll get to you instantly. In the 1930s, who just had, like, a fucking meat cleaver 
they were called Chilling. blacksmiths. Yeah, no, no, I I understand, but like, did was it a prevalent thing? Like, I don't need a cleaver, so I don't own one. Could I in an instant? Yes, but if I didn't need one in the 1930s, am I buying one? Fuck no. But I mean, you probably need one. Most common people, especially if you're making your own food out of rats, because there's no food going around, you're gonna want to. Like, you know what I mean? You're gonna be. They don't have money for food, but they they go to the local blacksmith and they're like, "Get me a motherfucking cleaver, dude." There's a fucking guy going around murdering torsos. You're going to want some kind of protection. So people probably had sharp objects in their home. That's true. I, I, and it doesn't have to be a cleaver. Like, that's what I'm saying. There's some sort of... I know, but they said it was like one swift... I mean, obviously, it's not a normal kitchen knife, right? Like, what people would have. Like, I think that's where the whole nickname Butcher came in, is because they think it's someone who has a big, like, cleaver or something. I think you're right. But I'm just saying, that would have immediately narrowed it down for me. Like, I, as a cop, I would have been like, all right... It's got to be someone like, I, I I don't know. It just feels like in the no. 1930s, everybody doesn't no. have a knife. That, like fucking. <laughs> Why wouldn't they have knives? Everybody because they didn't have fucking too. Amazon. They still had no, stores. No, I'm not saying knives. I'm saying if, if they determine that the cause of death is somehow swift and a clean blow of the neck, like I feel like the average American in the 1930s is not going to have that. Okay. But they didn't say it was with like a fucking like. Hanzo Hattori Katana. Like I, they... I, I know, I know. I, I listen, I'm not saying blame like, the immigrants yet. It wasn't but... the Highlander's sword. Like <laughs> that doesn't narrow it down to one person. No, but it gives you like it gives you like a, a category, right? Like that to start looking into. I mean, like, okay, people who wouldn't send me have... back to the 1930s. I will fucking solve this. <laughs> Damn, he really just wants to fuck with the timeline. Uh, yeah, I, yes. I'm I always mess with the sacred timeline. Here's my here's my thoughts on that. I think nowadays you'd be less likely to own as many knives as you did in the 1930s. Okay, I, I you're saying number of knives. I'm saying type of knives. Like, I, I'm saying like, all types. I'm saying I don't think I. How many like average Americans in the 1930s were butchering their own meat that they needed that? I feel like that it's was not about butchering. Like in the 1930s, did you walk down the street, buy a fucking goat, bring it home and eat it? Was that no, but you probably would buy like a whole chicken and you can't carve one of those up with like a fucking steak knife. Yeah, so they're like, not deboning you and giving you like fucking air chilled boneless breast chicken like you're getting a chicken. And then you got to chop it. You got to butcher it yourself. You're getting a head cut off chicken. Yeah, it feels like a cleaver would be more common in households then than now. That's what I'm saying. I'm pretty sure yeah. a cleaver would be like a thing that everyone it's... would have. Well, I tried to find out and uh, it did not give me a good answer. Yeah, it's like it's like how you'd only have like one of those like, what do they call them? Like be like bellows for like a fireplace. Like, yeah, yeah. You see like a, it like hanging on someone's wall is like a decoration. They just actually had those and used them back then. <laughs> like, yeah. it's that kind of thing. Like, I don't know, though. I understand what you're saying. Like, but that, but everybody needed one of those because they had a fire. Right. Everyone still had appetite. They were heating their home in that way and they need to stoke the fire. I don't believe everybody was butchering animals to the point where they needed a meat cleaver or something that could in one swift motion take a full fucking neck off i think they struggled through cleaning i agree that chicken. with the notion that maybe some people didn't have one but i feel like it's way more common well, you, th you think it's for. more common than uh, than not i i think back then it's the exact opposite so people just like like what what do you imagine like the average 1930s person had for like utensils. I think they had knives. I think they had, I think it's like normal, like kitchen knives, maybe, maybe a chef's knife. I think even that is overkill. I think everything that you're seeing is a thinner, smaller knife. 
and they're using the same thing to cut everything because it wasn't like duplicates of anything. I don't think they had, I'm not saying specialized tools didn't exist. I'm saying people in the 1930s, right after the great depression, were not purchasing individual like specialty knives. I don't think they built out like. Who says you have to like purchase because it was also just like made different back then. So it very well could have been like their moms or something. Yeah, like, yeah, it could have been. But I also think like, I don't know. I, I feel like cleavers would still be more prevalent now. Like cast irons are passed down. I've never been offered a fucking cleaver and I would take it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I really, I really, I really, I really thought I would break through on this one, but I, I can't defeat him. I'm no, it's, it's okay. It's honestly, it's all opinion. It's all opinion. Those. Yeah, yeah. Well, until I find, until I find the chart showing me when cleavers became popular, then. Well, we need a Venn diagram with fucking cleaver versus like I'm good. We're good. I just could be either. Size share it could be either is what I'm saying. It doesn't matter. It could be either. Um, but you can keep the mm-hmm. whole like who has a cleaver thought in your head, and then that could be like your killer. I get that. And then I'm gonna go with the like everyone probably had a fucking cleaver. And look, Art the Clown is a fucking cleaver. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. a clown. So now after this uh, body's found, John Doe number four, he's never identified, by the way. After he's found, the media starts going crazy over this case. Um, six brutal killings in, in one year, and the police had neither clues nor suspects. They were cannon fodder to the, to the press, especially Ness. The Cleveland Press, the Cleveland News, and the Cleveland Plain Dealer all hammered down on the case. They reported almost daily on the killings and the police lack of a suspect. Tension was high, and Elliot Ness was feeling it more than anyone. Because Mayor Burton put him on the case. Uh, it wasn't really his job to investigate. He was more of like like a supervisor, you know what I mean? But Elliot already made himself made a name for himself being very hands-on as the safety director. And that's what Burton wanted and needed. He needed the untouchable Elliot to go out and do it. So the hero of Cleveland was now going to get to the bottom of this. He starts running his own investigation parallel to the police's without telling the police that he was doing any type of investigation. The police department put detectives Peter Merlo and Martin Zalewski on the case full-time. Merlo was one of the most dogged on the force. He's a veteran, old-school police officer, around way before Elliot Ness came up. Didn't really like Elliot Ness. Didn't like all the reforms that Elliot Ness was doing, but he did look at his job as important and he was a, for all intent and purposes, he was a good police officer for the time. Like nowadays, he would be a corrupt piece of shit who would go to jail instantaneously, just beating the shit out of witnesses and stuff. Like he was that cop, like the old school 1920s cop. Coroner Pierce, uh, right after the media starts getting into it, he calls for what the newspapers dubbed a torso clinic, quote unquote. Basically, it was just a meeting of the police, the coroner, and other experts to discuss the information and to, quote, what we would call now profile someone who could be responsible for these gruesome killings. Really, profiling wasn't a thing in the 30s, but they were kind of like ahead of the curve on this one. They got together and came up with three possible types of like profiles. A literal butcher, because they think it's a butcher who could be using his very sharp knives and knowing anatomy, being able to pop joints out without like causing lots of damage. They thought it could be a madman, an escaped person from the asylum. They already had, there was another escaped lunatic from an asylum. And I want to say not Cleveland. Anyways, another city I can't remember right now, but he was on the loose 
murdering people. So they were like, they had that in their mind. So maybe it was that, or it was a doctor who had gone crazy. Someone who has medical knowledge because of the anatomy part of it. Two detectives, Marilo and Zalewski, were pretty hardcore when it comes to investigating. As much as Marilo didn't like Elliot, he still wanted to find the killer. Marilo and Zalewski worked full-time on this case, even on their time off. I'm just going to say, Zalewski said it might be a woman, and everyone laughed at him, which I find hilarious. He was like, what if it's a woman killer? And they're like, come on, women can't kill like that. I agree, it's probably not a woman, but I just do think it's funny that he suggested it and everyone laughed at him, and they made a point of telling that in a bunch of articles. On their days off, they would dress up like hobos and go undercover in the seedy underworld that constituted the run in the Roaring Third. One time they ran through the hobo encampment naked just to see if they could like tempt out the fucking killer to come kill the crazy naked police officer or who they thought was a hobo. They never really found much because they assumed the, the homeless encampment was the hunting grounds for the murder because everything was found nearby and these people were transients and stuff easy, easily missed or easily not missed, sorry. By the time the case had run its course, the two had interviewed more than 1,500 people and the department as a whole interviewed over 5,000. This would be the biggest investigation in Cleveland history at the time. Elections were held in November and Harold Burton was reelected as mayor. Coroner Pierce, however, was not reelected. He was replaced by a young mustached Democrat and now legendary Samuel Gerber. Gerber loved being in the morgue and looked it. That's what the book that I read said specifically. He loved being in the morgue and looked it. I was like, that is a weird ass sentence. Did so if you look up Samuel Gerber, he does look creepy. Did he like love it so much? Like when he would like press on the bodies and see like the goo that comes out of their mouth. And he's like, damn, babies would love to eat that. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if he wore socks while nude either. I'm not sure. Gerber ends up famously working on the later Shepard murder case, which after looking into it a bit for this episode, sounds like it's going to be an episode of its own later on. Gerber's fierce dedication to medicine, coupled with his law degree, put him at the forefront of the investigation. The previous kill was a while ago, but Ness was still getting hammered by the media. Martin L. Sweeney, ex-mayoral candidate, Cleveland congressman, Democrat, was taking it to Ness in the media. Sweeney hated Mayor Burton and Elliot Ness and didn't mind telling everyone. He was saying that Ness and Burton were doing nothing to stop the butcher, but were wasting their time convicting police officers because Ness was on his campaign of reforming the police. So he was saying, oh, stop bugging police officers and just fucking find the butcher, you losers. Burton was feeling the pressure, but Elliot was busy fixing traffic issues around Cleveland. So on February 23rd, 1937, a man was walking down the shoreline east of Broughton Hall on Euclid Beach when he makes a grisly discovery he found the upper half of a woman's torso washed up on shore so just shoulders and tits we got we good shoulders and tits okay pretty much the same spot that the lady of the lake was found a few years earlier she wasn't killed by decapitation this time it was post-mortem head lob off but they couldn't figure out what she was murdered by or her name the lower half of the torso washed ashore three months later at about East 30th Street. No other body parts of her ever showed up. So there's the first only torso. Okay. It only That's took one. Six, set one out of seven. So far, not good. But with this new hunk of a woman, she identified, they identified her as being in her mid-20s. 
she's known as Jane Doe number one, which I find interesting. The serial killer doesn't have a, a clear pattern when it comes to age, sex, and we'll find out race. Seems like any old poor person will do. I think that's the pattern, just poor. On June 6, 1937, a teenage boy discovered a human skull under the Lorraine Carnegie Bridge. Now, after reading like all of this, like, what's with all the fucking dead bodies being found by kids in Cleveland? Like, why is it all kids finding dead bodies? Yeah, that's a little odd. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of children. Near the skull, skeletal remains were found inside of a burlap sack. The skeletal remains were that of a petite black woman aged approximately 40. Using dental records, this lady was tentatively identified as a lady named Rose Wallace. Dental records weren't as good back then as they are now, so officially she's listed as Jane Doe number two. But I mean, they identified her because she had three gold teeth. I'm sure that's not an everyday occurrence, especially in the poor part of Cleveland. It wasn't just the dental records. She went missing 10 months prior to finding her remains, and her remains were listed time of death about a year prior. Wallace was a prostitute, and she worked in various establishments around the Roaring Third. People that knew her said that she basically only spent time with a guy named One-Armed Willie. (laughs) One-Armed Willie was also friends with Flo Palillo, the weird doll lady, who was identified as a butcher victim. One-Armed Willie had been a suspect in Palillo's death because he and she had had been in an argument the day before she went missing, but police had no evidence to go on. So remember One-Armed Willie. That's one of my theories is One-Armed Willie did all of this. What was One-Armed Willie's profession? Honestly, that's about as much fucking info about One-Armed Willie I can find. Trust me, I looked up One-Armed Willie. Interesting. I, yeah. I've been looking up knives for the past 30 minutes. <laughs> oh, I'm past that. I'm past that. I now think that the killer might be a barber. <laughs> Well, I don't I don't know how I let Rick gaslight me into thinking people don't have fucking knives in surplus. Like, I'm they, not saying they, they didn't have had... a lot of knives. That's not my argument. Everybody has had all kinds of knives for a million plus years. My argument is the specialty and the availability. Think about it. George Washington only had It is a fucking piece of metal. George Washington only had 12 pieces of silverware total. Well, that's silverware. It's made of fucking silver then. Nobody's saying their cleavers were made of gold and diamonds. Hey, silverware was like the term for all cutlery. Like No, shut it. the fuck up. That is such look a up, nonsense made-up thing that you just yanked out of the hole of your dick and threw into your microphone. Oh, God. Really had me for a minute. I was like, damn, maybe not everybody did have cleavers. <laughs> no. The, the most common fucking cutting utensil. So there's never it's any not evidence. as common as you're making it sound. I'm, you're full of shit. <laughs> I'm full of shit? You just yes. made a claim for no reason, saying that people might not commonly have them, as if that would narrow down to finding a murderer. I don't think they would. People uh, people didn't have... I mean, there's, there's these prevalent things that we think about that it, it's uh. just... And all I'm saying is that that is a very dumb thing to think. This is like, okay, can I, I'm going to take a little sidebar here from the whole knife thing, because when this show started going for like the first five or six episodes, I noticed a little thing about both you guys. You're very, very different. RJ's wrong a lot. (laughs) No, but you're very different people. 
And I thought to myself, this is going to be very interesting to watch them like fight it out with each other every once in a while. And this is the first time, this is a lot of shit's coming together this episode. This is the first time mm. you guys have just like argued with each other. I've wanted this for a long time. It's just I've like, never, I've, right. I've, I've just he's never literally been... giving me shit because people <laughs> own a specialized knife. And he's like, people have a shit ton of knives. A specialized, a meat cleaver is a specialized Yes. Knife. Do you have a meat cleaver in your home? No, I don't. Oh, me but that's because I buy all of my chicken pre-cleaned. How much harder was it to get one in the 1930s? You just proved my argument. All of my birds come in plastic pre-cleaved. I don't need one. <laughs> that, that doesn't. People had butchers. They go to the butcher and they're like, "Hey, can you cleave that bird up for me?" Sure. There's here. no evidence that Palillo and Wallace had been acquainted, but it suggests that they know each other. They went to the same tavern. Uh, so the police decide they're going to go investigate that tavern. And they heard about Wallace being with a dark skinned white guy named only Bob on the last night she'd been seen. Someone else said that they saw her with three white guys in a car. This is the best leads they had had in a while, but it really left them with nothing at the end. They couldn't even prove that Wallace was Jane Doe number two. Her dentist had been dead for years and no one could know for sure if it were her. Uh, she was the only black victim. She got a plaster mask made, one of the four that at the Cleveland Police uh, Museum. With all these leads, they weren't getting any closer to finding the butcher. There were some labor issues in the flats in the summer of 1937. I think I talked about that in the LNS episode. If I did, I skimmed over it by accident. Remember I was telling you how he was, he was like union busting a bit? Anyways, it was so bad at some point the National Guard had to be called in to maintain some order. Enough where Ness offered up 700 policemen to join with the National Guardsmen to avoid strikers and scabs killing each other recklessly like they had a few days earlier on the picket lines. The unions were now on Ness's case, calling him a union buster. While the Guardsmen were watching the picket lines on July 6, 1937, two young Guardsmen were standing watch by the West 3rd Street Bridge. And as a tugboat tugged along the Cuyahoga, they noticed a white thing floating in its wake. The first piece of John Doe, number five, was bobbing in the river. The lower torso of a young man cut in half, much like other parts found in previous cases. Over the next few days, police recovered the entire body, except for the head, from the Cuyahoga. This victim had met a more vicious death than the previous victims, indicating escalation, something we know now is a typical with a serial killer. His abdomen had been gutted and his heart ripped out. The book makes a cheeky joke that says uh, about the heart being taken out, maybe he needed one. All right. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> well, why would they? I just, it's okay. I shouldn't really judge, but I'm going to a little bit here. This guy's trying to be like the author of this book. I should figure out the name right now. I, I read this a while ago. Andy uh, Rooney. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Andy Rooney. <laughs> but they're, you're writing a, like a, a true crime factual, whatever. I don't know if you should be making jokes, but we do that. You know what I mean? But this is like the whole point of the show. Anyways, I, I anyway, I shouldn't be saying I, much, but I mean, the weird cheeky joke. No, it's not like, like the whole book was full of jokes. It's just like one or two splat. Like maybe he needed a hot. You're not wrong. We're we're funny. That's the, the key difference. <laughs> yeah. Neither the head nor the heart were ever found. The victim's cause of death was also called decapitation, but this time the removal of the head was done in hacks rather than one swoop with a greatsword. John Doe number five was in his mid to late 30s. 
Uh, never identified, like I said. The media started to ask why Ness didn't just ask the National Guard to help him find the butcher, which he did. But the National Guard said, we're not here for that. And they left a week later. Strikes went on for months and the violence that kept Ness and his police force busy for the next couple of months. Ness was union busting, but because the gangs were the ones protecting them. That's what he kept saying. He's like, the gangs, it's the mafia that's like protecting your fucking union. So like I'm mob busting, not union busting, but the unions didn't like it. Uh, the media and Congress Sweeney used the, this new victim to hammer down again on Elliot. Focus on the butcher, not on union members. They start to say the fact there's more arrests nowadays because there's more crime is false. It's just Ness and Burton are in charge and arresting police officers and union members. <laughs> they also mocked him that he never caught Capone in public, which I find was fun. Uh, this doesn't really amount to anything negative for Ness, but it did make Sweeney look dumb because Ness's numbers didn't lie and their logic was dumb. So he like... So I have a question. Yeah. So like, let's suspend disbelief. Like, let's suspend reality for a moment and pretend everybody had a cleaver. So it just said that he wasn't able to make it through in one swift blow. How prevalent were knife sharpeners? Because like, a butcher probably would have had one. Now I don't think it's a butcher. <laughs> but who would who who would have a knife but wouldn't need to sharpen it? Yeah, but you do. Now we're now we're narrowing. Now we're yeah. narrowing it down. I guess, but like you, you've, we've all done this where you go and you go like, oh, I needed to, I don't know, make my lunch for tomorrow. And then you wake up in the morning. You're like, fuck, I need to make my lunch. You just forgot. He could have just forgot to sharpen. Yeah. But if I'm, if I'm about to clean off a head, I'm like making a ritual out of sharpening that shit. Like, I feel like this guy is too, but maybe the screams were too much. He's just like, I don't want to hear this guy scream anymore. If I have to take off his socks, I swear to God. (laughs) Tickle his feet. Yeah, but the point I'm trying to make with this whole Sweeney thing is that Sweeney's out to get Ness, but it's not really working. These two just hate each other, and it's just showing in the media. So June to December 1937, the two detectives, Marilow and Zalewski, are working their asses off trying to figure out who this is. Ness was ordered by Mayor Burton to run his own investigation, parallel police investigation. Sorry, I said that earlier, but it was now. It was like 37 by the time he does that. His investigation was made in secret. None of the investigators even knew that he was personally and actively pursuing the matter. Meanwhile, Marilo and Zalewski are spending a lot of time in the hobo encampment and interviewing people. Still nothing to go on. The good thing was that there weren't any victims found for about eight months or so until April 8th, 1938. While walking through the flats, a young laborer on his way to work sees what he first thinks is a dead fish along the banks of the Cuyahoga River. Turns out the dead fish was actually the lower half of a woman's leg. After the police searched the area, no other parts of who would later be called Jane Doe number three were found. With no evidence, and even though he turns out to be right, Gerber goes right to the press saying that the butcher was back. So on May 2nd, about a month later, two burlap bags were found containing both parts of the torso and most of the other leg floating in the river. This victim was a little different than the other victims. This was the first time Coroner Gerber detected morphine in one of the victims' system. This made Gerber question if she wasn't a drug addict or if the killer used drugs to subdue her. They never really got an answer to this because they never found the arms. Usually that's where the track marks would have been in the arm if it was a drug user. This dismemberment was sloppy. He also broke ribs. This neck was sliced a bunch until it needed to be ripped off. So I guess this guy just didn't have a sharpener. He just kept like hacking until he... she was ad- never identified and became Jane Doe number three. 
police started asking the media to get people to send in tips. So many tips started coming in, over 5,000 tips. The media was turning the case into a class thing at this point. So no one did anything because they didn't care about dead poor people. That's what their claim was. They said if this was the Cleveland Indians getting murdered one by one, the police would have been investigating. If a baseball team was getting murdered, you would have figured it out. But poor people, who cares? At the peak of like Ness looking like shit for this, he t- takes an interview with one of the local papers, something he had been doing much later in his career. Early in his career, he was a media whore, but later when he was safety director, he too politicized. Everything he said would be like turned around on him. During the interview, most of the questions were about the torso killer. Ness avoided or deflected most of the torso killer questions. Ness wanted to brag about traffic reforms and statistics instead. Uh, wasn't a good look for him. Little did the media know Ness actually had a suspect, a guy he wouldn't talk about while he was investigating. He would just tell people he was a doctor, but it wouldn't reveal the name. Ness and others in law enforcement referred to him as Dr. X. Dr. X we'll talk about in the theories. I'll just skip Dr. X for now. August 16th, 1938, three scrap collectors foraging in a dump site at East 9th and Lakeside found an old wrapped up quilt. Inside the quilt was an old wrapped up man's double-breasted blue blazer. Wrapped in the blue blazer was, as you guessed it, the torso of a woman. The legs, arms, and the rest of the body parts were found in a makeshift box nearby, each piece individually wrapped in nine brown butcher paper packages held together with rubber bands. The head had been similarly wrapped. This time, the butcher kept all the body parts together. Like, not together together. You know what I mean? Just like together. Some of these parts looked as if they'd been embalmed, according to Gerber. A lot of the articles say that this victim's parts were previously frozen, but the reality is that they were said to have been preserved, and later authors and historians took this to mean previously frozen. But Gerber said embalmed, which is different than being frozen. This woman would officially be known as Jane Doe number 4. John Doe number six was found not long after. While searching for more pieces, the police discovered the remains of a second body only yards away. It was very decomposed. Basically, only bones were left over. Gerber said that both Jane Doe number four and John Doe number six had died months ago, but their remains were just left out recently. They had also been placed in a location that was in plain view from Elliot Ness's office window at City Hall almost as if the butcher was taunting him. Hmm. Elliot must have taken it as a taunt as well because he was pissed and he decides to do something drastic. Do you guys remember? I told you guys about this in the Elliot Ness episode. Um, He stopped letting people touch him. (laughs) No. Two days later, on August 18th, at 1240 a.m., Elliot Ness and a group of 35 police officers and detectives raided the homeless encampments in Kingsbury Run. yeah. They brought 11 squad cars, two police vans, and three fire trucks to come down to the largest cluster of the Hobo Jungle, where the Cuyahoga River twists behind the public square. Ness and his officers worked their way through the jungle, eventually gathering up anyone who looked like they had no job or even anyone who didn't have any prospects for a job. 63 men. That's it? With the jungle... In a a jungle of hobos? Just 63 of them? 63. Didn't look like they had a job? A lot scattered, my friend. Hmm. You know, they didn't get everyone. Uh, With the jungle emptied, at dawn, police and firemen searched the deserted shanties for clues. Once they didn't find anything, Ness made his craziest move. Ness orders the shack set on fire and burned to the ground. He figured that if the butcher had nowhere to hunt, he would stop. 
or maybe he would find him and end this once and for all. Well, it's a great way to keep the homeless population safe. Down is really what he was looking for. He got applauded for this after, for like sure. being hard on fucking. Anyways, he got applauded. And some, some people were hard on him. It was, I shouldn't say he was applauded. He was applauded by some. The other press hammered him for insane actions. The public remained afraid and frustrated. Many people criticized this move, claiming to do nothing to solve the murders. And they were right. Then Ness doubles down with his fire inspections. You guys remember that? Oh, yeah, vaguely. He got the fire guys to go in looking for fire infractions with detectives so the fire marshal could go in their house without a search warrant to search for a kill room. I hate Elliot Ness so much. (laughs) Yeah, he's a piece of shit. From that raid to the subsequent illegal fire inspections, Ness really never officially really solved the case. Those two are the last two canon murders of the Cleveland Torso murders, but there are other grisly murders around the U.S. that some believe are also the work of the mad butcher there's another thing called the murder swamp killings between 1929 and 1942 nine people were found dead and dismembered in the swamps around the train yards of newcastle and west pittsburgh pennsylvania marilow thought these victims were connected because of the similar way that the victims had died and how the train yards could be an easy way for a murder to jump from town to town all the murders happened between 1921 to 1934 and then gapped out from 1934 to 1939 and then they continued from 1939 to 1942. The gap is exactly when the Cleveland Torso murders were happening. A lot of that's speculation because some of the people think that that's just gangland murders and people getting their heads cut off and thrown in the swamp. It's not the same as like a ritualistic thing that they're looking at here. But the timing does seem very suspicious. And Merlo was very like he was on that. That's what he thought. Those guys were all connected for sure. And there's another connection that they say Robert Robertson is another murder victim. On July 22nd, 1950, the body of a four, uh, 41-year-old businessman, Robert Robertson, was found decapitated at 2148 Davenport Avenue in Cleveland. He had been dead for six to eight weeks when he was found. And his death appears to fit the profile of the other victims. He had been estranged from his family, had a drinking problem, and an arrest record. The papers linked these crimes right away, even though it had been about 11 years since the last official torso murder. But the detectives who ran the case treated the homicide as an isolated crime. Yeah, also it would have been pretty old at that point. Like, if that's true, somebody dragging bodies around. I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? Uh, they could be connected. It has some similarities, but the police didn't think so. And the last connection and another victim was something we already talked about, the Black Dahlia. On January 1st, 1939, Cleveland police get a letter that was dated December 21st, 1938, sealed in a Christmas seals from someone from Los Angeles who just signed the letter X. It was typed and full of spelling mistake mistakes. It starts. This is what the letter says. You can rest easy now, as I have come out to sunny California for the summer. I felt bad operating on those people, but science must advance. I shall soon astound the medical profession, a man with only a DC. What did their lives mean in comparison to hundreds of sick and diseased twisted bodies? Just laboratory guinea pigs found in any public street. No one missed them when I failed. Then he goes on to say he made some sort of discovery, and then he compares himself to like Louis Pasteur, which is weird. Then he says the partial remains of a failed experiment, the head of a uh, minus features could be found in Los Angeles, buried in a gully on Century Boulevard between Western and Crenshaw. The later continue the letter continues. Right now, I have a volunteer who will absolutely prove my theory. 
They called me mad and a butcher, but the truth will out. I feel it is my duty to dispose of the bodies as I do. It is God's will to not let them suffer. Signed, X. So this letter follows the profile. Crazy sounding guy. Sounds like a doctor. DC stands for is doctor of chiropractic. Chiropractory. Chiropractic? It's an insane chiropractor. Yeah, this is the reason people think that whoever killed the torso victims were also killed the Black Dahlia because of one letter that was sent to Cleveland police from LA where the Black Dahlia murders happened. And Elliot Ness later looked at the case file for the Black Dahlia and said he thinks he knows who did it too. But I mean, and he's never going to tell. It's his big secret, but I don't know. The brutality of the Dahlia, I don't think these ones are connected. It's, it's the X thing too, because he kept, that's why he called him Dr. X. Dr. X theory is coming. If this connected to Black Dahlia, the swamp killings don't line up with that timeline either. So like, it's either you take the swamp killings or I just think it's the 12. I think they're separate things. The Cleveland mm-hmm. police forwarded the lead to L.A. police who went and searched the area they, where they said the head would be found. The letter ended up being nothing after the police found animal bones where the supposed to be human remains. That's pretty much all the killings. And then we go into theories. Are you guys, you guys have anything that you want to say before theories start? Uh, again, just disappointed in the, you know, mis- misleading number of torsos that were going to be involved in this. This is not as torso forward as I had anticipated. Okay. Okay. I'll just go through some theories and then I know Rick has a crazy one that's he's like typing up right now. He's probably got a slideshow for us. I'll just, I'll go. No, I'll no, go I, 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 I actually am all over the place. Let's just talk about a few things that did happen during the investigation. I kind of breezed over because of the theories. So theory number one is a guy named Frank Dolezal. Almost a year after the burning of the shantytown, an arrest is actually made in the case. Any uh, any relation to Rachel? I don't know. Who's Rachel Dolezal? I will let you find that out for yourself. Okay. <laughs> in July 1939... County Sheriff Martin O'Donnell arrests 52-year-old bricklayer Frank Dolezal for the murder of Flo Palillo. Sheriff O'Donnell was at odds with Elliot Ness, thinking that he must be a terrible policeman if he can't get this torso killer off the streets by now. So O'Donnell takes the lead and finds someone to arrest. Public safety was his number one concern, but making Ness look bad was also a motive. Dolezal had lived with Palillo for a while, and subsequent investigation revealed that he had been acquainted with Edward Andrassi and Rose Wallace. Dolezal confesses to murdering Palillo, Flo Palillo, but his confession turned out to be a bewildering blend of incoherent ramblings and neat, precise details, almost as if he'd been coached. His time of death was off on a lot of the murders, even though Lake Erie was frozen. Dolezal claimed that he put parts of the victims in the lake, those parts were found just like on dry land. Um, five days after his confession, he gets a lawyer and recants the entire thing. He claimed that the sheriff and his men beat him until he confessed. Two days later, before he even stood trial, Dolezal was found dead in his cell from an apparent suicide. The five foot eight Dolezal had hanged himself from a hook only five feet seven inches off the floor. Gerber's autopsy revealed six broken ribs, all of which been obtained while in the sheriff's custody. To this day, few believe that Dolezal was the actual murderer. All official police records on this case have been lost, destroyed, or removed. 
So that just sounds like they were looking for someone trying to make Ness look bad. So that's not really a theory. I just kind of kept it out because they said it's solved with Dolezal, but no, it's not. Theory number two. Now, the reason I can't connect this whole story with Al Capone, because Al Capone really wasn't mentioned in this at all. But like, could this be like gangster payback to Elliot Ness? Like, this is from 35 to 38. 35 is about the time that Al Capone's put into Alcatraz. He's got fucking neurosyphilis. His brain's rotting away. Isn't this like a crazy thing that Al Capone would say? Like, go chop up some dead bodies and put it in front of Ness's office to get back at that prick for me being in Alcatraz. You know what I mean? Like, this is not mentioned anywhere, by the way. I just think that this is like a probable thing. Like, I don't think... Uh, I I think it would have been more of the reverse. I think it would have been like, chop the fucking head off and put it, you know, like, if you're going to really try and send a, a message, I don't think you're taking away who they are you know wait the reverse so elliot ness was having bodies chopped up and placed outside his office <laughs> to taunt al capone and alcatraz maybe maybe that's where the heads were going maybe the but heads are going straight to you're to thinking alcatraz. like a sane person by this time capone was crazy he's already losing his fucking mind so like a crazy super villain fucking move would be just like kill a bunch of people chop them into bits make ness find them you know yeah mm. i know it's not I'll buy it okay Okay. I'm trying to find what the cost of butcher paper was back in the 1930s, <laughs> the okay? Okay. Because I looked into the history of of when butcher when wax paper became prevalent and it wasn't until 1927. So, could this just be gangsters then? Because like the unions were all getting busted up by Capone. That's all gangster related shit. Plus they are or sorry, we're getting busted up by Ness. They already hate Elliot Ness because of fucking uh getting rid of their boy Capone. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, uh, also, the, by the way, know. shout out to Arthur Hirsch from the Tampa Bay Times, who opens up his article with "What a dark time it was in the American kitchen, 1926." So yeah, <laughs> it doesn't sound like a fucking fun time of knives. Thank you, Arthur. What is what is the context of that? He literally just goes through like how there was ever, anything we would think of as normal in a kitchen today is an alien yeah, we concept. know they didn't have microwaves dude we get that yeah no it's not even talking Knives about are, are, you know, they've been around for longer than kitchens i'm not saying that there wasn't a knife in the fucking kitchen send, send the send the article you fucking coward <laughs> this is this is mostly about the way to wrap food but it, it doesn't bode well ah now he cows out Soon as it he doesn't no 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 i'm saying it, does, it doesn't make actually it doesn't prove my point at all now that I, questioned it. I wasn't even trying to i wasn't trying to prove my point i was just giving a shout out to arthur hirsch okay leave hirsch alone you don't think that okay sorry i'm still in the gangster thing because i think it's funny like you don't think the gangsters might have had like some fucking guillotine guido who just sent a message you know what i mean like guillotine guido's now and you sharpen man. you sharpen your guillotine guillotine whatever yeah i'm gonna go ahead and say that nothing in this article is talking about something as basic and fucking ubiquitous as an ancient tool known as a knife so i'm extrapolating from the data i have that's arthur and i are just the first line of the article yeah i got it that was the only part i read until until we started talking all right, so we got one arm Jimmy, which I don't have lots of info on him. I think one arm Jimmy might be involved. That's the next theory. One arm Jimmy as a theory. Um, okay, so last theory is Doctor, or second last theory is Doctor X. Uh, Doctor X is the nickname of the suspect that Ness had. Ness gave him a better nickname uh, that seems to have been lost 
but at the time he was calling him Gaylord Sundheim. <laughs> Why? What? What? Is, uh, anyways, okay. So Gaylord Sundheim or Doctor X. Most people think that Ness solved this in the 30s, but couldn't prove it back then. Doctor X was most likely a guy named Doctor Francis Edward Sweeney. Sweeney was investigated by police and interrogated by Elliot Ness, but no physical evidence was ever found linking him to the crimes. Sweeney's, uh, let's give a little history on Sweeney. Sweeney's mother died young, well, he was young, she died early, and his dad spent the last of his days in a mental institute suffering from psychosis. Apparently, Dr. Sweeney went to World War I as a field medic, and he was gassed, which uh, left him losing all his feeling in his finger and t- fingertips and toe tips. When he came back home, he went to medical school. He was intelligent, hardworking, paying for his medical school on his own while working two jobs. In 1928, he became a surgical resident at St. Alexis Hospital in the Kingsbury Run area. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can I jump in real quick? Because I just got a very funny image of Metallica writing that song uh, for a guy that just lost a little bit of feeling in his fingertips. <laughs> <laughs> numbness imprisoning me <laughs> anyways continue and now it's all i'm thinking i'm singing it in my head now <laughs> tingles are bothering me <laughs> so by 1929 he started to display some of his dad's psychosis and was medicating all the time with booze because of his nerve damage from the gassing in world war one sweeney was always in pain and addicted to everyone around him because of it uh, he would also hallucinate, apparently. In 1933 to 34, his wife put in petitions questioning his sanity to the court. That's what the women had to do back then is be like, I think he's crazy. <laughs> Can you check him out, please? Uh, he ended up going to the mental ward of the hospital at the Cleveland City Hospital. The orderly guy in Drassy worked at the hospital he was in, just so you know. He worked nearby Kingsbury Run, less than a mile away. Sweeney was allowed to operate on unclaimed bodies at the nearby morgue. The mortician would say that Sweeney would cut up the corpses in a similar manner as the victims. Maybe Sweeney was using his medical office or morgue for the dismemberments. It would make sense with the last two bodies having being embalmed, as per what Gerber said. Sweeney's wife left him just weeks before the body of the Lady of the Lake was found, so maybe that's what was triggered him to be a complete fucking murderer. After Jane Doe number 3 was found... Sweeney had been committed to a mental ward from his family. The police followed him around. Uh, after hearing about that, Dr. X would talk to them every day and make fun of them in public. He'd be like, oh, hey, how's it going, police officers? You still following me? Why don't you come have lunch with me? He was a big guy, big dude. He was smart, smart enough to do the dismemberings. Uh, spent time in the hunting ground. Mental problems, but smart. But there was also never any evidence linking the victims to Sweeney. Elliot and the police force needed to find his laboratory, but they really wanted the rest of the heads. They thought the killer would have been keeping them as trophies. The problem was Dr. Sweeney was related to Martin L. Sweeney, the congressman who had been attacking them in the media. Dr. Sweeney and Congressman Sweeney were first cousins, not super close, but first cousins. So Ness was scared to call out Dr. Sweeney as the murderer. He was scared to get sued by the congressman as just like, oh, oh yeah, he's attacking me in public. I'm going to attack him in public. He thought that's what was going to happen. And after Dalazen was captured, it was even worse. Like Frank Dalazen, after they put him in jail for the murder and he confessed, 
he was definitely too scared to go up because he now it's just looking like he's petty. He's just going after the uh no, your your suspect's wrong, my suspect's right. It's the congressman who's been attacking me's uh cousin. Like so he kept it secret for years. Uh Ness needed hard, incontroversial evidence, or the doctor would walk. Ness, like I said, loved the polygraph. He was one of the first people to use it in police in law enforcement. And they used it on Dr. Sweeney. They arrest him around May 1938, just before the last two does. So the last two that were displayed in front of his house or in front of his office, it was just before that. So when they arrested him, Dr. Sweeney was so drunk, it took him three days to sober him up for the polygraph. The polygraph's not meant for a list of things. Small children, morons. This is what they say. Polygraph is not meant for one, small children, two, morons, three, unethical savages, or four, insane persons. Only for normal civilized people. Sweeney had the last one. Maybe two of the polygraph doesn't work on these people traits, but Ness went through with it anyway. They interrogated him for a week, eight hours a day, each day. The polygraph operator said that Sweeney was definitely guilty, lying about something. Um, Ness didn't trust that he wanted to get a second opinion. So he looked for another guy who was into polygraphs. Uh, The other creator is another guy like the two guys who invented it so we got the other inventor they split off in their rivals now so larson his guy his name is something larson uh larson thought that sweeney was also guilty so both polygraph guys said that he was guilty so larson asked sweeney are you willing to go under hypnotism so i can ask you some questions then and that's when sweeney asks for a lawyer mm. sweeney knew that you couldn't use polygraphs in court yet they were still not admissible which i find funny i thought they would be admissible right away but it took a while for them to be like these work admissible and then they took them out again later on fucking politicians they're afraid of getting got yeah ness flat out accused sweeney of being the murderer the torso killer the mad butcher and sweeney didn't say no i'm not he said ah prove it so what they did is they kept surveilling sweeney kept following around but they could never prove anything but the murders were basically kind of like stopped right uh, after these Sweeney was obsessed with Elliot, Elliot Ness after this though later in his life he would just send Elliot postcard from his mental asylum he's lived in the mental asylum for the rest of his life basically and Ness got four or five messages from him terrifying his wife Ness's third wife didn't like this at all Ness was questioned about this when he ran for mayor in 1947 mayor of Cleveland people asked him like oh whatever happened to those Cleveland murders and Ness like screamed back at them those were solved and then he never really said by what, but he he was very confident that Sweeney was the guy. And the murders definitely stopped after they started falling around Sweeney. And he since he was voluntarily put himself in, since he was in the mental institution when some of the murders happened, he just could check himself out and check himself back in at any time. After Ness was on him, like he was involuntarily put into the insane asylum, and then he lived out the rest of his life or in the mental asylum. So that's that's doctor that's Doctor Sweeney. I think he's a pretty fucking solid theory honestly overall and my last theory is elliot ness elliot ness is the torso murderer waning fame losing all his fame for being an untouchable trying to get in the papers again no one cares about being safety director so he invents a serial killer which is himself for relevance he got sweeney all lined up to be the fuck take the fall he's gonna line up his cousin and then this fucking asshole sheriff goes and arrests some other guy ruins all his plans stops murdering people and decides to live out the rest of his life without the fame 
yeah, that's my that's the last one. <laughs> that's the last one for me. So Elliot yeah. Ness is the torso killer. So I'm I'm going back and forth, but I think my my solve is I believe it was uh the guy that founded the Reynolds company, the company that makes the Reynolds wrap. Okay. Um because in 1927 they were made famous by not only having butcher paper or wax paper that could come off a roll, but also came with a serrated edge. And I'm thinking that that guy was just hacking away at that fucking neck was and wrapped it right up. Was paper cuts the whole time? Yeah. No, no, not paper cuts. No, no, no. With the serrated edge. You know how oh. like you get a box, you rip it off and you can rip your wax gotcha. paper off, whatever. I think single tool, right? Make it prevalent to the masses. <laughs> but he started it. This is how you get people going, get this them hyped up, you know? After, hey, after come all- buy some wax paper. Look at what you can do with it. You can both cut the head off and wrap up the torso. After all your cleaver fucking attack, it's a piece of jagged aluminum at the edge of a box that you think this is cutting off. And how, and how prevalent was that? Not much until 1927. <laughs> you know what? I'll give you that one. I don't think everybody had the jagged boxes back if you, then. If you guys want to hear more from Rick, you can flag him down as he's dragging goalposts all around the country, moving them to and fro. There's just one song. This is what I do. I do really like so. I mean, all of this is up for interpretation. Like when you read this, this, these old articles that say this happened, that happened, like when they say it was wrapped in butcher paper, when it was like, I seriously think, based on if you collected all the evidence, assuming every killing was the same person, now it might not be, so you might have to throw some things away, but assuming every single murder was the same person, just based on the MO of like cut by this type of knife, this type of force needed to be frozen or embalmed, preserved, needed to have this butcher paper, need to have like, do you seriously find like a category of person that could only have these things? Like, I really just don't think people are spending money. Like if you went and you bought butcher paper from a butcher, you're not like, I'm gonna wrap that body up in it. Fuck that. Throw the body in the fucking lake. Move on with it. You know, don't be wrapping the shit up. That's a waste of money. That's uh, definitely something like a... <laughs> Whoa, whoa, don't it, it, it goes me. with the yeah, show. That's, it goes with the that's show. That's a that sure is a thing someone said. <laughs> it goes with the show. You know, like I, I'm down with that. Like I'm cool with that. So just so you know, the I kept saying the book that I read, it was called Elliot Ness and the Mad Butcher by Max Allen Collins and A. Brad Schwartz. I hated the book, just so everybody knows it was trash. Don't read it. It's bad. Uh, I did a lot more research off the side of that. It was just a lot more of wanking off Elliot Ness. Um, and really I would say maybe a quarter of the books actually about the mad butcher. So if you want to hear more about Elliot Ness, go read that, but don't really give it the butcher treatment. What I did find really, uh, interesting was this website called the tombstone tourist. And I was going to show you guys a couple pictures. I'll just share my screen. I'll show you a couple things from this. Maybe this will jog some theories in your brains and then we can get the fuck out of here. Like, I guess it has the most photos out of all of it in one spot. Oh, I'm looking at that right now. Yeah, there's just a bunch of like, here's uh, some Sweeney fucking graves. But look, they got some actual photos of some victims in here. There's one of the heads right there. It's pretty gruesome. I mean, okay, listen, this guy was a surgical resident that eventually developed paranoid schizophrenia. This is like when I'm saying put them into a fucking box. This is the box. Yeah, look at this guy. Look at this investigator. I think that's Marilow. He's picking up one of the fucking heads. 
no gloves. Just this fucking raw dog in life. That's <laughs> disgusting. I think it's yeah. what it says. Well, he knows that he sanitized that that head when he killed that guy, so he's fine touching do you it. Think, do you think he he was like, "Yep, that's a dead head." <laughs> Look at the white shoes. Like that is fucking ballsy. Like you know, you're walking on the crime season. And you're like, let me wear some white shoes. And like I said, they had different investigate like no forensic evidence was used back then it's just like you got someone to admit to it caught him in the act or like found the murder weapon or something you didn't have any type of real event like this is the kind of shit they would do like oh ahead cool <laughs> here catch and they passed it to each of them like oh what do you think girl guy well, you know <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean though like i just yeah. find that interesting i uh, get yeah. it yeah there's some of the skulls this this is uh our corner a little mustache creepy looking dude i <laughs> like how it says analyzing and he's holding a pencil against the nose of the skull yeah. so, oh what are you kind of analysis you doing there bud <laughs> uh see it it's uh it's a circle just like the eye sockets on a regular human so it's a human <laughs> there's some postcards that uh elliot was getting from uh nobody knew about these postcards till much after elliot's death and people went in to look at his archives and stuff and they found the postcards there's our buddy gerber i don't know if he looks kind of does that look like a guy a mortician like he kind of looks creepy isn't this sweeney that's dr sweeney sorry they're all creepy yeah everyone born before 1962 is creepy as fuck yeah <laughs> that was the that was the training period for the algorithm they still had to figure out what we were supposed to look like yes all right well that's that's the that's the cleveland torso murder guys do we have any uh what are we gonna go with here what's the solve what are we going with uh after all of the evidence has come to light uh the conclusion has been made that he was named incorrectly <laughs> okay okay i have solved a mystery bad name named incorrectly now mad butcher better absolutely I, i'm just blown away at how many John Doe's there were in this case. Like, you would think somebody would be like, oh, no, dad's missing. It's might be him. Like, Cleveland, Ohio is not a very big place. I don't know if you looked at where all the, the bodies are dropped. Like, dude yeah, didn't go it's, far. It's all people that would be jumping on and off boxcars going from town to town, right? It wasn't... Uh... It was a bunch of immigrants. It was just people disappear easy back then. It, it was people everyone was mad at anyways because they kept stealing all of the kitchen knives and cleavers uh, from everyone's <laughs> households. That's the only reason they could possibly not have something so simple and normal in everyday life. Show me your fucking cleaver right now. Go ahead. Show me your cleaver. It's so simple and normal. Pull it I'm, out right I'm, now. I am living in 2023. I also Throw do not have an axe. everything that I've ever said. Oh, simple and normal. Throw, show me your fucking cleaver. I also Come don't on. have an axe or a fire poker okay well i have an axe <laughs> right <laughs> point i it. actually have a fire poker too i'm certain you do <laughs> because here's what happens things that are everyday essential items a hundred years ago then become luxury items for the wealthy a hundred years later an axe is a luxury item we do things with them like have them and never use them. What fucking purpose would that serve me living where I live? What What do you use the axe for, Rick? Chopping small pieces of wood up into smaller pieces of wood. For? Burning. For? What do you burn? Where are you burning? What, whatever I need to burn. I, what do you I'm burning he, gets, wood. he gets to do whatever he wants. That's the thing. That's what I'm trying to say. You do whatever you want. <laughs> you, of course you're going to buy all of You can shit. start a fire if you want. I, can, I mean, 
I can't can borrow I, my I can't. hacks if you want to borrow. My I don't hacks. need it. I have no purpose for it. I don't have time to start a fucking fire. <laughs> I'm miserable, Rick. You have time to butcher some meat, though. I'm on Rick's side now, I think. Yeah. I don't think anybody would have a butcher. I don't even think a butcher cleaver would exist. Be a specialty tool. You think we're buying into we're buying into big meat? There's no such no, thing. No, I'm not saying I'm not saying that. I'm just saying seriously. Like, do you have a knife in your kitchen right now that could clean go through a fucking neck first chop? I really don't think I do. No, but I also have a specially designed pair of scissors that are large and sharp enough to cut through. A I know, but the the ability to buy that today is so much easier. I could literally hop on Amazon, get a fucking cleaver, and be done. And like it, you got to think about okay after Great Depression. Yes, and then I'm not arguing and- with how easy it was to acquire items. It was also easier to breathe. It was easier to not have your kids die. There's lots of things that are easier now than it were a hundred years ago. It doesn't uh, yeah, mean that but, people still didn't have things. I'm not saying they didn't have things. I just feel like a knife at like a, the levels of knives. Like if you follow cutlery, is reserved for a special class. I'm gonna play your game, Rick. Let's let's just theorize this butcher for a little a couple minutes. Okay. Right. This little butcher that we had, especially the one that just got fingers given to him and he's like, oh, that's human meat. Dude, could it be that guy, you think? I, I'm not saying it had to be a butcher. I'm just saying, like, let's narrow down the population and look at I, I truly think like if you go through if you go back in time, it's like the prevalence of specialty items, whether it be in the kitchen or something else changes so if that becomes a murder weapon and you can somehow narrow that down now like you said the forensics that they were doing was fucking like hot potato with the skull so clearly these guys weren't like holy shit it must be a cleaver it must be a large knife or it must be right like i feel like if you can narrow it down industrial revolution was just like the beginnings back then like mass production of finding all these fucking knives everywhere wasn't the same thing is there potential for it to have been a knight i i hope so i guess i guess it could be a knight in the united states but i don't that would be fucking sick. He just kept like trying to knight other people or make them his squire, and he kept accidentally cutting their heads off. He's like, "Shit, I'm never gonna find somebody to clean my my armor. This sucks." We got well. Find- I didn't. I didn't find enough research on. We gotta solve this. Like- is my point. Right? What are we? How are we? I'm going it? with that. That's that's mine. So it's, it's a, sure. the sad, the sad tale. It's a, it's like an ironic name, and it's like a fairy tale. People will say they call him the Mad Butcher when really he was just the Sad Knight. Well, my my question yeah. was is is there like some religious aspect to keeping the socks on? Is there something having um, to do with like keeping it covered? Yeah, and is it does that show the killer's possible religion, right? And yes. now give you a path to go down. I just yes, don't. I looked. The, at, there was there were. I, I looked online. There was some like specific talkings of like judaism and being clothed completely naked so it almost felt like maybe they were spiting jews right like oh i'm gonna only leave so this socks is, this is like, anti-semitism it feels it could be i mean this would be the time that we would have an influx of jews in the united states okay i, was, so, I mean it really does feel like it could be anti-semitism right? so that doesn't really give us a name though who we we're, it's it, an anti-semitic jew and i think about it maybe they were trying to stop the kosher butchers from coming in okay nothing stops kosher butchers more than body parts being and chopping them up and chopping them up yeah okay. i mean at least four weren't identified one of them could have been a jewish butcher what are they gonna do they're gonna say hey hey cops 
That was my dad. No, they just had to flee a fucking country. They don't trust is, the police. Is Getz a German name? Yes. <laughs> okay, maybe don't be peddling Semitic conspiracies. I'm not. Me shining light on it, all right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't spin them up, though. That, that just, it has a very wide margin for error. Do you see my notes? I'm a fucking I ally, see, all right? I didn't say it was your... Okay, here we go. See that? <laughs> just leaning into it. Yeah, I mean, you got you gotta... I'm not... I don't know. I'm, I'm just wondering, like, was there a reason for the socks? And the only thing that I could find was some tie to religion, like, whether you were or weren't buried completely in the news. But maybe maybe it's also just because that guy just had stink-ass feet and the killer didn't want to take a touch mm-hmm. of his feet. It could, Pl- it could have possible. been... I was going to say the only religious concept therein is that uh, it's it's definitely a circle of hell to be naked except for your socks. Yeah, well, we gotta we gotta we gotta put a name to this. We gotta put this to bed. So who is? What are we? Oh, I'm going with the I'm going with the the clumsy knight. That that's my the clumsy knight. I like that. Are we doing? Are we gonna be able to concede the clumsy knight? forgot to sharpen his sword he's like oh maybe if i don't sharpen my sword i won't cut their head off this time and he just he just well he was a knight he carried his sword on him and when he came over from where knights live he had his sword sharpened he didn't bring his sharpener with him are you saying this is a jewish knight are you changing this to a jewish no i'm saying this is a knight that was an anti-semitic knight (laughs) that that, that didn't that didn't take good care of his tools he's gonna say swords were an everyday kitchen item in the 1930s (laughs) no i'm not i'm saying the exact opposite that's how we were able to narrow it down in this one night the clumsy knight i'm just going with the clumsy knight stoodle is also a german last name so i'm not playing that game I feel like your your connections are a little bit more traceable than mine, you know. I'm just more open about them. That's all I'm saying. I I that's really true. know nothing you, about it. You add one vowel onto the end of Rick's, and it's an immediately an Italian name. So it was very <laughs> well. I mean, I'm not full German. Like it's still Axis. I'm a mutt. You know, it's still Axis. I don't care. Sure, sure, sure. Also, don't be German and say things like mutt about human beings. So I called myself a. Sure, <laughs> you did, but I'm just saying. You just have to tread carefully. We are so, a podcast. Uh, oh, oh, that's what's going to get us canceled. Me calling myself co- a mutt. They'll come for us. Oh, they came sure. for us. Okay, I'm just going to say this right now. I'll tell you guys, we were uh, charting number 19th in Sing- Singapore this week. But I also want to say that we making fun of the age gap between two people in the Diane Schuler episode also got us hate comments. So, like, it's it's really hard to do that, RJ. I'm not doing that. That was, that was the... Yeah. Italy one, right? Oh, if that guy if that guy decides to listen in again, um, I do I do have one thing to say to him. Let's end it uh, like this. Okay, well, we're gonna end it like yeah, this. So make it good. That sounds good. Yeah. I listen, man. I'm really sorry that I made you insecure about your relationship with your very old friend, and uh, I just don't want you to have to think about how much sooner he's gonna die than you. I didn't mean to do that to you. <laughs> I watch Private Dicks, and RJ is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched Private Dicks and I think RJ's the funniest. What? Come on! Oh, I'm sorry, we forgot about something here. AI Companion, let's uh let's catch me up, AI Companion. 
The meeting has been casual and focused on personal anecdotes rather than business matters. <laughs> Participants have made humorous comments, engaged in playful banter. The conversation has touched on various topics, including AI, police investigation, and historical figures. However, there is no specific agenda or clear direction to the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Another one solved. <laughs> I just listen to Private Dicks and I think my favorite. song you're hearing clearing us out today is called after hours after hers hrs after a after hours by casa nostra thanks for going to our youtube page and giving a shit about stuff that's stupid you get yourself a shout out with your very good hashtag dance hall song go and listen to casa nostra everyone Four years ago, he released this. He's got just over a thousand views. So let's make that. Let's make that a couple more. <laughs> 